for turning your Bibles or your devices to John chapter 1. We're going to dive into that introductory little part that we spoke about uh, last week. Now, you know, sometimes, you know, when you go to a restaurant... And maybe it's a new restaurant you don't recognize, or maybe everything on the menu just kind of looks good or looks interesting or you're unsure about. Sometimes they've got a sample place. If you've been there, you know, to go to Tony Romer's or whatever, when they used to be open, you could eat it. (laughs) And they'd have those samplers, you know, all the different kinds of ribs you could try and that sort of thing. Well, well, the, the problem with samplers is, can you imagine if you go to a sampler and you order the sampler because you can't decide what to eat, and so you try the first one and that's really good, so you order the first meal, the whole meal, and then you try the second sampler, and that's really good, so you bring that whole meal in as well, and the third and the fourth. Before you've done it, you know, you, there's no way you can eat all of that food, right, because of a full meal of every sampler. That's the danger when we get into these first 18 verses of chapter 1 of John. It's called the prologue, okay? And so what happens here, as I said, is that these first 18 verses are kind of like a sampler for everything that he's going to explain in full for the next 21 chapters. And so what I'm going to try to do is just sort of keep it at the sampler size uh, so that over these next number of months we can unfold uh, the full meal. But you know me, sometimes I start diving into the deeper meal. But I'll try, to, I'll try to control myself, okay? And we'll just do this sampler and see the beginning, just the beginning taste of what it is that John is going to tell us about Jesus as we go forward. Now, if we put the whole thing together, what I'm going to say today, it should be on the, on the outline of the back of your page. You might want to follow along because it gets a little complicated. But what we're going to see today is that Jesus is God. The man Jesus of Nazareth is God who became a human, why? So that we can live by trusting his glory, which is expressed as grace and truth. Okay, that's kind of, I try to summarize everything we're going to do, and you can see that it's a, a bit of a complicated thing, but we'll try, to, we'll try to dig into it. It's quite deep and significant. Whenever I do these sort of sermons that, you know, there's a bit of theology and philosophy and so on, my, my dad's words echo in my ears when I'd start talking about this. And he'd always say, Alan, what's that got to do with my life when I go to work on Monday morning? So I will try to show you, but here's the thing. Here's what you've got to realize. What we're going to talk about is literally about life and death about your eternal life or your eternal death, about the people that you love, their eternal life or their eternal death. Okay, so that's, it's very significant, although it might sound a bit highfalutin, but this is all about life, life eternal and the fullness of life right now. So just kind of keep that in your mind as you think about what's this got to do with Monday morning. Think about that this is about life and death the big picture, the big scheme. And so here we go, the first five verses of John chapter 1, which is the prologue of the prologue. Let's read it to begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can see it's kind of a mind game already. He was with God in the beginning, through Him. Through the word, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's getting repeated because this is, he's trying to pound it home for us. In him, that's the word, was life. And that life was the light to all humankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not 
overcome it. All right, you can see that this is kind of heady stuff right off the top and very easy to get jumbled up. So what in the world are we talking about? Let's, let's break it down. This little phrase, in the beginning. Okay, let's look at that. Now, you might remember that last week I said that this book of, first John, of John rather, um, was written from Ephesus, and there's a big debate. Did he have the Greek thinking, the Greek mind, and all that philosophy? Was he aiming at that? Or was he thinking about the Jewish worldview and how the contract? And we said, well, really, it's kind of both, but there's a lot more Jewish stuff here than you used to think. So let's think about how this goes. Let's begin with the Greek thinking, because he's writing probably from Ephesus, to the people of Ephesus was a bit of a cultural center for Greek thought, okay? So when they hear, in the beginning, they start right, right there, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean, in the beginning? There is no beginning. Because you see, for them, the world and life and everything was just this sort of a cycle. This cycle that just went around and around and around. And anything that you saw, anything that you touched, that wasn't real. What was real was just this endless cycle in which you really couldn't make any difference. And so for, for many of the Greek thinkers, I mean, it's kind of broad, but overall, the, you attracted this thing that what you did and what you thought and what you decided didn't make a hill of beans difference. You just kind of lived, and the gods that existed these cycles, they were the gods that understood it, and they were the ones that were wise. And so that for them, it's like, what do you mean in the beginning? And so right off the top, John is saying, listen, if you think that this is just some endless cycle, that just happens again and again and again, if you think you're trapped in an existence in which your decisions and your choices don't make any difference, you're wrong. Because there is a beginning. And there was one who made the beginning. And not only is there a beginning, but there is a trajectory, there is a direction, there is a point and a purpose to everything that happens. And so right in these first few words, he's assaulting that whole mentality that thinks that it's just a cycle and what you decide doesn't make any difference and what you see and feel and touch, it doesn't really mean anything because it's not real anyhow. He's going to attack that whole way of thinking in there, okay? So the Greek things are like, whoa, what are you talking about? Now, on the other hand, the Jewish readers, when they hear the words, in the beginning, what do you think they thought of? You've read it before, right? In the beginning, God created, right? The very first words. And so when the Jewish people read this, they'd say, in the beginning, in the beginning, and they would think about Genesis chapter one. They would think about the beginning of all things, and they'd get a couple of things out of it. So number one, they'd say, oh, this guy John, he's going to tell us something that he thinks is as significant and as important as the very creation of the world at the start of the whole thing. This is something that is a huge, big deal. And they would expect, in the beginning, God. But instead, John says, in the beginning was the Word. And so right away, the Jewish thinking is saying, okay, the word and God, is he trying to say that they're the same thing? And, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Okay, so in the beginning was the word. And I think you'll see in your notes there, the Greek word for that is logos. And the reason I'm giving you that is because this, this idea of logos, if you read any Greek philosophy, it's this, it's this huge big thing, okay? So in the beginning was logos. In the beginning was the word. And so for the Jewish person, what was the word? Well, for the Jew, 
word, the word, word, okay, the word, word, it was God's active work, right? Because what did God do? God, in the beginning, God spoke and all things came into being. So for the Jews, the first thing, okay, it's the, it's the active power of God. God. The word for the Jewish person, that was another way of saying that this is the presence of God. And particularly in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, the word, the Torah, the law, that was that the presence of God there. And it is, thirdly, God's powerful self-expression in creation and revelation and salvation. Well, you can see, if you think about that, they hear the word and they think God is active, God is present, God is powerful in expressing himself. You can see how John is saying that Jesus is all of these things, right? Jesus is all of these things. And so the Jewish people are kind of thinking, okay, this word, of course, he hasn't named Jesus yet, right? He's building this case. He's building this expectation. Okay, so this word, okay, we can go for that. Now, for the Gentile readers, for the Jewish things, the word, this logos, was something different. It was sort of like a principle of rationality. They thought that there was this impersonal force that sort of drove everything, that made everything happen. It was pure reason. You know, it just, I mean, it's very deep and it's very broad and everyone had a slightly different view of this, but that's, it's this impersonal force that makes everything happen. That's what the word is. But what John's going to do is, not only are you wrong about there not being a beginning, and not only are you wrong that what you decide and what you choose and what you do doesn't make any difference, you are wrong in what the word is. Because the word is not some impersonal mathematical force. It's a person. It's a person. You know, we might we kind of think of it this, this way in today's world. You, you'll often hear about nature drives everything, right? If you think about that, nature drives everything. Scott, Scott was saying, you know, if you think about it, lots of times people will speak about evolution as that. That it's this impersonal force that just sort of drives everything forward. For some people, uh, how about this? If you watched in reels or even talk to people or whatever, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, I trust the universe as something good in mind. Have you heard people say that kind of thing? You had a conversation? Yeah? No? Huh? I, I've heard that. You know, I asked the universe or the universe is good in mind. And that's this idea about this impersonal force that's kind of like fate, that's kind of like determinism, that's kind of this. And, and when John is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you something. This logos is not some impersonal force. The word, the driving force, is in fact a person, God, a personal God, who we'll see is Jesus. Okay? Then he goes on. So you've got, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Man, this is, this is deep, heavy stuff, you know? What he's doing here is he's starting to edge towards the Trinity, and this whole mystery that we can't really understand, but we try to, we try to figure out, and that is, that is three persons in one. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he's talking right now about the Father and the Son. And, you know, um, Tom Rice, he has this bit of analogy. And any analogy breaks down, but it's a bit of a picture that might, might help us a little bit, right? And he says, you know, you think about words, you think about our breath, right? And we can, actually, breath is involved in these words. It's kind of complicated. Anyway, you think about what he said. So if you think about, if you think about our words or our breath, on the one hand, they come from us, right? 
They're part of us. You know, we, we breathe in and out of our lungs comes uh, this breath which goes, you know, past our vocal cords and through our tongue and, and there it goes. And so our words are, are kind of like part of us. Does that make sense? But once those words are spoken, they take on a bit of a life of their own, don't they? I mean, think about some of the words that we say which become their own power. How about the words, I love you. All of a sudden, it kind of takes, I mean, you know, you're dating somebody and then somebody works up the guts to say, I love you. Pardon me? <laughs> because you know, once that word is out there, once the L word's out there, something big's going to happen, right? I mean, it's going to be like, oh, right? Well, how about these words? You're fired. Or, how about these words? I do. You see, it kind of comes from us, outside of us, but once it's out there, it, it takes on a power and a, and a force all of itself. And so Tom Wright says, that's kind of like that with, with Jesus as the word. He comes from the very bosom of God, as we'll see when we get to the end, of, down there, verse 18. He comes from the very internal of God because he is God. It's the perfect expression of what, of what the Father is, and yet, and yet he's also separate. Takes on a life of his own. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's kind of the same, it's just an illustration because it's a mystery. But the word was with God and the word was God. And then the next thing he points out is that, listen, everything that ever happened and everything that ever is came about through the word. Because God spoke and the universe came into existence. And not only all these physical things, but life itself. Life itself comes through the word. You see, life, as we look around, your life within you, the life of all creation, it didn't just happen. It wasn't just some weird thing as a result of, I don't know what, radiation or something. No, he says, listen, you need to understand that life, life, the essence of life, comes from and is a creation of and is a gift of God himself. He is the source of all life. And then he says this, and that life was light. Now, those are, those are going to be code words for us. As you go through the Gospel of John, you're going to see that whenever he talks about life, light, he's talking about life. And he's going to contrast it with darkness. And whenever you're going to see darkness, you're going to see death. And so darkness, blindness, when Jesus comes and gives you know, sight, that's the end of darkness and life is given. It's going to be a bit, of a, a bit of a code word for us. And then he says this marvelous thing. You know, there's going to be a battle. And the battle in your life and in the battle in the world is going to be a battle between light and darkness. And the light came into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. You see, the battle. That, that little phrase there for me was so uh, meaningful and desperately needed by me this, this week. You know, on, on Thursday night, I was sitting in my chair and doing some thinking, doing a little bit of praying, and, and, and Sheena said, are you okay, Alan? Because I, I have these groans of, uh, that sneak, they sneak out every once in a while. Yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. 
a little while later, are you sure you're okay? And, and here's what was going on. As I was, I just was getting overwhelmed by darkness. It kind of started out um, because I was thinking about these two little girls. Oh, I'm going to work up. You know, in Sylvan Lake, 13 and 12, in a birthday party in a room beside one of the parents. And it looks like, according to one of the parents saying, hey, parents, talk to your kids about drugs. It looks like drugs. And so for me, that's like got to be fentanyl. And they're dead. And your imagination goes, what? Like 12 and 13. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you it was their first shot and they thought they were going to be big girls because they're teenagers now. And then I started thinking about wars, Ukraine, Russia, and Sudan is blowing up now, and, and uh, Mali, there's a big raid, and, and just like this, and oh, Lord, it's so dark. And then, and then thinking about some, some families and some marriages that, that kind of thought would look solid, but really they're blown apart in the agony of that whole thing. And, and then pretty soon I was, back, I was back to these two little kids and she was, you know, third time, Alan, what? Because these moanings are coming out. It wasn't indigestion, she's whispering. so. And I, by then I was been thinking, because I'm starting to think punishment. And I said, I'm just thinking about these girls. Who in the world sells a 12-year-old something that might have fentanyl in it? Who does that? You know, I'm imagining all these things, you know, bringing in the death penalty. And Sheena says, well, probably a 16-year-old who'd been sold to by an 18-year-old who'd been sold to by a 25-year-old. And it just felt so dark. And then I remembered, and the light, the light came into the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it when we bring the light into the darkness. This is what John's saying. Life the light of life into these dark things, whether we're talking geopolitical or your relationship or your heart, when the light of Jesus comes into these things, the darkness cannot overcome it. And that's the prologue to the prologue. It's the first samplers that we take. And then something kind of weird happens. I mean, think about the profundity of the word became, you know, all these things. And then all of a sudden it says, oh yeah, and uh, then there's this guy who's called John. Not the guy that wrote the gospel of John, but a guy that we know him as John the Baptist. And John began a new beginning by being witness to Jesus. Look what it says. 
So you go to this thing about, you know, the light and life and all this kind of stuff. And it says, oh, oh yeah, uh, forget about this word and stuff. There's a man who sent from God and his name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that all may believe himself is not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Hmm. He came only as a witness to the light. It seems so strange, doesn't it? I mean, what's going on here? They've got this, this whole big deal about who the word is, the word is with God, the word is with God, and then all of a sudden it's just now it's down to this John. Well, there's a couple of things that's happening. What's going on is this, is that John, the writer of the gospel, he wants us to understand this. And now I'm going to tell you about a new beginning. I've told you about the beginning beginning, but now let me tell you about a new beginning. And the new beginning was witnessed to by this guy, John, who we know as John the Baptist. And so what he's saying is, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, because everybody kind of learns out. You want to talk about Jesus, when did his ministry began? It kind of began with John, who burst onto the scene and said, now there's this new beginning that is going to happen. There's going to be now a new creation. The beginning... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God created in the beginning. And now the living Word is going to bring about a new beginning, a new life, a new creation. And it's going to be as big and as significant a shift as the old one. And why, and John, it's interesting that you to John. Here's why. Do you remember last week that Barry was explained to you that, that uh, John probably lived in Ephesus and that whole thing? Because John the Baptist was a big guy in, in Ephesus. And how do you know that? Well, because if you go to Acts chapter 19, you'll see there that the Paul's cruising along and he meets these guys from Ephesus. And, and, you're there, and, and who, who are these guys? They are, he said, have you, have you uh, heard of the Holy Spirit when you, when you believed? Oh, I haven't heard of any Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Well, whose baptism did you receive? It's Acts 19. Oh, John's baptism. And so there was a group of people in Ephesus that were followers of Jesus. That John had somehow told them about Jesus, but they hadn't got the whole picture. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so John the Baptist was a big guy in Ephesus. And so it works out perfectly that John, the gospel writer, says, Oh, and this John, that's a big deal for you? He's just a witness to the real big deal. He's a bit of a foil for Jesus. Because John the Baptist is really not that big of a deal compared to Jesus, who is the light. Then, what goes on? Let's pick it up. Let's pick it up here now in uh, verse 9. Some will reject the light and some will accept the light. Let's read it, verse 9. The true light, because it wasn't John, the true light gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, right? We just heard that. Though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human desire, or a human's will, but born of God. 
And now this whole thing about belief enters the picture. Witness and belief. Remember we said that John is written out like a court case. Remember this whole thing? And John's going to bring forth witnesses. And they're going to give a witness to who Jesus is. And, and you're the jury. And you're going to decide whether or not you believe or don't believe that these claims about Jesus. And now he's the first idea. Hey, are you going to believe this? Are you going to believe that the word, you know, is the light and light is life? And, and that he came. Are you going to believe this now? Because I'm a witness to this. And then comes one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Because what John says is, hey, listen, this God who is the word, this God who was before all things, this God who, this word who, who brought all things into existence, who created all things, this light who is the source of life, this light that darkness and all of its power simply cannot overcome it, this life, this word, this light has become a human in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory the glory of the one and only son full of grace and truth the word became human so we could know God's glory now Things get a little funky here. So far, we've been skimming the surface. But I've got to dig a little bit deeper for this one. I've got to order in off this sampler. I've got to order in some of the full meal deal, okay? So, I need you to just kind of focus in. I know it's kind of been a bit wobbly, but just, just listen carefully. That's what we're going to do, because I've got to, we've got to build ourselves a little thing. It's a bit tricky. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What it literally says is, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Okay, tabernacled. Okay, it's the verb or the form, the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament? Okay, the tent that God dwelt in. Okay, so this word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And so when they think about them, the Jews heard these words, they'd say, okay, let, let's think for a minute about the tabernacle. What happened when the tabernacle was finished, when God dwelt among us? That's what the tabernacle was. And so let's take a look here at Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 37. So then a cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled his tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So you see how, what John's doing here? Okay? And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. 
The word tabernacled among us and we saw his glory just like it did back then. God made his dwelling amongst us in the tabernacle. God's glory came to live amongst us in the tabernacle. And now he's saying that God's dwelling is now with us in Jesus. God's glory is now with us in Jesus. This is God living in the midst of his people back in the tabernacle. And John's saying, and so what I'm telling you now is that this word which is light, he tabernacled, he dwelt among us. God's glory is with us. How? Because the word became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. And then once they start thinking about the tabernacle and glory, then they begin to think about, okay, what's the whole thing with God's glory being with us? And what does that mean and how does that happen and what is God's glory? And when they think about that, then they begin to think back about Moses and glory and grace and truth. And the Jewish reader would think back to Exodus chapters 33 and 34. Now, you might remember what happened there. This is, this is just after the golden calf, right? And so there they were, you know, Moses goes up, he's going to get the commandments or whatever, comes down, and hey, what's that sound, you know? This isn't praise, this isn't worship, what's this going to be? All oh, these guys are going to be, you know, the, the, the golden calf kind of a deal, and God says, hey, I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to kill them all. And we're going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses intercedes and says, no, don't do that because then you'll look bad because then you'll say you brought your people out to the wilderness just to kill them. And so God says, okay, since you ask, I'll show mercy and I'll show compassion and I'll let them live. And then this happens then in Exodus chapter 33 Verses 18 and 19. Then God said, then Moses said, show me your glory. I, I want to see your glory, God. And the Lord said, look, I'll cause my goodness. Do you want to know what my glory is? I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, okay? Glory, goodness, name. I'll proclaim my, my name, the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. And I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so God's beginning to define for us what his glory is. And his, his, his glory is his name. His glory is his compassion. His glory is his mercy. And so then we kind of read on in the story as God begins to unfold this. And so when we think, remember where we're going. And then the word became flesh and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth, right? So you see how this is all tied together? You, know, you just keep on reading here in there. And, and not only is God saying that this is, this is my glory, it's, it's my compassion, my mercy, and my name. Then it happens, right? You know, the cleft of the rock and God covers Moses' face. Here we go. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 and 6. Then the Lord came down in a cloud, right? We've seen this, the glory, the cloud, the tabernacle, all these things. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. That's his glory. Remember, his name is glory. And here it is, the Lord, Yahweh. 
And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and this is, a, this is now the definition of the very character of God himself, which echoes throughout the Bible. You'll read it again and again and again. And so he goes, the Lord covers up Moses and he proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And that's the word hesed. We spent a couple of months looking at hesed. If you forget what it means, Dave's got his poster he made for us in the back hallway. Just go back and review all those words. Abounding in hesed and his faithfulness. Faithfulness is truth. Full of grace, full of hesed, full of truth. You see what's happening here? You see what, what, what John the Gospel writer is doing? He's saying all this stuff you know about God's glory, all about his name and his compassion and his mercy and his kindness and his gentleness and his patience and his faithfulness and his grace, his hesed, all of these things are captured in this word who became flesh, whose name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we see the full character of God. Don't make this mistake that the God of the Old Testament is different than the Jesus of the New Testament. It's the same God. And what John's telling us is that, listen, this Jesus that we see, that is the full expression of God's glory, of God's complete name, of his goodness, of his mercy, of his kindness, of all of these things, of his loving faithfulness. This is the word became flesh. And ultimately we'll see his compassion and his patience and his hesed and his faithfulness and his kindness fully expressed in what John says is the ultimate statement of God's glory. God hanging on a cross for you. And for me, and whoever tells a 12-year-old little kid fentanyl, because the light came into the world, and darkness cannot ultimately overcome that. It just can't. And so we speak Jesus. I go crazy every time we sing that hymn. Because normally it'd be one that I'd be like. <whistles> but there's such truth. And there's such power. That the word became flesh. And tabernacled amongst us. And we beheld his glory. the glory of the one and only and darkness cannot win and so then he just sort of sums it up he's going to try to say now I'm going to start to bring it home I'm going to bring it home for you I'm going to show you that Jesus is the ultimate grace the son of God who came from the father let's read it John testified confirming him that's Jesus didn't said the name yet, but we all know who John testified to. And he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me 
because he was before me. He was in the beginning. And out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law, that's the first grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. Moses had to hide. You can't see my glory. You'll die. But the one and only Son, who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father that has ever been known. Jesus, the ultimate expression of grace, the Son of God, comes from the Father. And John the Baptist gave testimony to Jesus of Nazareth, this incredible reality that this God of glory became flesh to conquer darkness in your life, in your relationships, and in this world. And then he just ends up where he started. With the word became flesh, you know. In the beginning was the word, words with God, words with God. And he said that this Jesus came from the bosom of the Father. That's the language that's used there. And he became human so that we can live by trusting in his glory, in his grace, his compassion, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his grace and his truth expressed on the cross. And it's the first case. It's the first witness. And the apostle John says, okay, that's it. That's the first witness. That's, you know, the beginning of it. That's John the Baptist. And this is who he says he is. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That light comes into this world. And no matter how dark it seems, the darkness cannot overcome it in your life, this world. Almighty God, there's a lot of stuff here and it's, it's, I, I get lost in it. There's just so much. But the bottom line is the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And darkness cannot win. And so we speak Jesus into the darkness, the darkness of our lives, the darkness of our relationships, the darkness of this world. And we proclaim that darkness cannot overcome the light, cannot overcome the glory of the cross of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.